Hi everybody, this is Sarah Benincasa. Welcome to another episode of Well, This Isn't Normal, the podcast where we talk about all this stuff. I'm going to get into an essay that I wrote recently that I wanted to share with you because I decided that sometimes with the essays that I write, um, if possible, I want to provide this audio version for people who process information better through their ears, (laughs) or just for people who don't want to read, um, or for people who can't read and need to hear things, need to hear stories, and just, you know, whoever feels like listening. But um, before I get to that, I'll I'll get the the money stuff out of the way. Uh, This podcast is supported by Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Sarah Benincasa. Patreon.com slash Sarah Benincasa. Thank you so much to the current subscribers. I really appreciate you. You will get in your email inbox four times a month my newsletter, Serotonin. You'll also know that you're supporting this podcast, my uh, wacky little feminist art project, Excellent Coats on Irritated Women on Instagram, and various other things. Uh, So you can go check that out, patreon.com slash Sarah Benincasa. Also, if you are looking for handmade, beautiful clothing made to order just for you, you can use your sizes or your, you know, your straight sizing, or you can send custom measurements, whatever you wish, matrushka.com, that's M-A-T-R-U-S-H-K-A.com, matrushka.com is all um, designed and made by women in Los Angeles, and if you use offer code S-A-R-A at checkout, you will get 20% off plus free shipping. Again, that's S-A-R-A at checkout, 20% off plus free shipping in the United States from matrushka.com. And finally, if you love audiobooks, and you know I do, I talk about them on this podcast, not infrequently, <laughs> go to libro.fm, sign up for a membership, libro.fm, sign up for a membership, you will help independent bookshops. Isn't that cool? When you, just like bookshop.org, which is not a sponsor of, of this podcast, um, but libro.fm, go there. Enter code SARA at checkout when you buy your membership, your monthly membership, and you will get two audiobooks for the price of one. That's Libro.fm and offer code SARA at checkout. You'll get two audiobooks for the price of one when you buy your monthly membership. All right, there we go. So, as always, the disclaimer is I'm in my apartment in New York City. There may be noise, there may not be noise. Is it soundproofed? Absolutely not. Am I sitting in the closet where probably we would avoid more sound stuff? No, no, I don't feel like it. I'm hanging out in my living room. I appreciate all of you. And here we go. This is an essay that I wrote uh, and published on Medium at sarahjbenincasa.medium.com. This is called These Were Our Years. And the subtitle is A Dispatch from the Summer of 2021. So this is about... Oh, God. Dealing with all this. It's about uh, dealing with death and and difficulty and pain and some good things. And, and I started to wonder how we will tell how we will tell the kids, the kids who are born after this, this time period and, and how we'll feel about it and all of that. So I'm going to just read to you now. It says on Medium that it's a six minute read. 
Uh, I don't know that that's going to be true on, on this podcast. And it's everybody reads at a different pace. So, you know, we'll see. Anyway, this is called These Were Our Years. And you can subscribe, by the way, to, to my writing at sarahjbenincasa.medium.com. I wonder if they'll believe us when we tell them how bad it got. In my mind, when I imagine us talking about it, it's dead and gone, but we're still alive. You and me and everybody who is still here. We are old and we are healthy. Can you see it? All of us, creaky in our bones, but thriving, dredging up memories at the beach, on the stoop, beside a lazy river in the sun. I know, of course, that we won't all live through this, but I still like to play pretend. I like it more now, even than when I was a kid. I know, too, that it may live forever, mutate and grow and change and stay among us as long as there are any of us left on the planet. Like us, it is programmed for survival. When I say that I picture it dead and gone, I really just mean the worst of it, the way it is now, strong and so easily passed among us. I imagine that part being long over when we describe it to them. Picture us telling children about this, the ones who aren't born yet and won't be born until after it's done. They're at the beach or on the stoop or beside the lazy river. Maybe it's a family picnic. Maybe it's a block party. Maybe one of them says something that triggers a memory. They mention wanting a mask for Halloween or they say they hate being outside when it's so hot and they wish we could just stay inside all the time, all day. Maybe one of them says what I would always say to my own mother. Tell me a story from when you were younger. Will they think we are exaggerating? Will they think we're making it a bigger deal than it was? How do children regard the recollections of elders who went through something so massive and catastrophic, something that cut through swaths of the whole population? It's been a while since I was little and asked my grandparents about their wars. It wasn't until I was in my 30s that my grandfather told me about watching a Luftwaffe pilot writhing in flames, jumping to his death from the sky. We didn't hit him, he said quickly, and I don't know if that was true. He was a tail gunner. My parents, children of the late 50s, have no such stories, and many of my grandparents' generation didn't tell their own children these tales. They waited, not on purpose, but perhaps until the stories couldn't stay inside any longer. Grandchildren hear things that children do not. I don't have children or grandchildren. I am 40, and I know people my age who have both. If I end up with any, it will be a surprise. A pleasant one, I suspect, as I enjoy kids more the older I get. When I was a child, I found other children to be somewhat frightening. I am taller than most of them now, which helps. Tell me a story from when you were younger. We called it the new normal, I'll say, and they'll wrinkle up their noses as if to say, what the hell does that mean? And really, what does it mean anymore? It's not new. It's not normal. It's tired and bedraggled and wearying, and it is not how life ought to be, but it is how life is. Governments collapse. Screaming refugees hang on to departing jets. The other week, the ocean was on fire, and not for the first time. None of this is new. That doesn't make it normal. If I am honest, I will say... In those days, I would wonder why I was sad suddenly and exhausted when I was lucky to have a place to live and clean water and a job and a benevolent demon cat and a family and friends and my books and my poetry to protect me. I would wonder if the wave of despair could simply be biochemical. 
if maybe I needed to take more medication, do more exercise, drink more water, pray on my hands and knees more than once a day instead of just once, half awake each morning. I would wonder what I could do to produce the right response. And then I would remember how life works for humans, and I would think, to be sad and frightened and weary is the right response. People are dying. People are in pain. I can do some of the helpful things, the good habits, the healthy behaviors, and I must do them, but sometimes the bad feelings will come in. This is the nature of the time. I can hold hope in my heart and anger too, and the rage and the love alike can weigh me down. This is not a failure to heal, but an affirmation that I am alive, that I am real, that I am still here, and to be here means to be present for all of it, all of it. And so those were the days when I learned to be there for all of it because I could hide from the illness as best I could, but I could not hide from the way I felt about it. Do you see? I hope they will look at me politely and nod, uncomprehending. I hope they can't relate in the least. My friend who worked at the hospital, he called them meat trucks. They pulled the bodies out of houses for transport, I will think, but I won't say it. Hundreds of them in freezer trucks for months because they can't always find the families and they don't know what to do with them. That was in New York. They took forever to cremate my friend, and he didn't even die from it. It was something else, but the place where they burned the bodies was too busy. That was in California. He was too young, and I still miss him. I won't say it. A year and a half after it started here, and the pediatric wards were full of kids, all sick, some dying because so many adults wouldn't get the vaccine or wear masks, and so many kids couldn't get the vaccine. That was in Texas and other places that vote the Texas way. Kids don't need to hear about that shit. They'll run and play. They'll go off and read a book like I used to at parties where I wished I could just be inside by myself. They'll eat something. They'll laugh. They'll fight and they'll make up. They'll ignore me because I am from another time and this will be their year, not mine. They are not yet born, these future children of other people or me, at a party yet to be given by someone on a street or a river bank or in a field or backyard. I do not know if I will live to meet these small people or bore them with my old stories. I do not know anything except that everyone dies eventually and this is both a sorrow and a relief. Every day I read the sad announcements from strangers and from friends. They are all different and they are all the same. They bleed into one another. The longer you stick around, the more people you lose. Everything happens for a reason. I will remember you. I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. I've seen fire and I've seen rain. I will always love you. I will raise you up on eagle's wings. Gone too soon. Born sleeping. One in my arms. One in my heart. I hope you're at peace. This one's for you, pal. R.I.P. to a real one. I hope you see Grandma up there. Dad is waiting for you. Our God is an awesome God. God damn it, I miss you. Ave Maria. And so on and so forth. Jesus fucking Christ. World without end. Amen. I have a memorial t-shirt. I cut the collar off and wore it to take an exercise lesson so that I live longer with a better ass. I helped write an obituary. I went to a funeral on the internet. I had a dream and in it you were still alive. I keep dyeing my hair. I don't drink, especially when I want to. I don't sleep like I used to. Nobody sings me lullabies. It's 6 a.m. I hear the traffic on the BQE. Bread trucks, milk trucks, meat trucks, people. The birds are awake and singing to each other. The sagging roof across the street still hasn't collapsed. I check every day to see if it's given up. I suspect it has a few years left in it. 
Whether they will be good years, I can't say. My God, my God, I am so happy and so angry to still be here. So that is from um, medium.com, where I'm a member of the Creator Fellowship Program. And it is called These Were Our Years. And there's a photo at the top of a statue, a beautiful female nude, or femme nude. <laughs> it's a, a, naked, a naked body. And um, it's, I, I don't know if it's white marble. I think it's white marble. And um, she's against the background of this vista of beautiful Glendale, California. I love Glendale. And it was at Forest Lawn Memorial Park, which is a big fancy cemetery. And I took that photo in March of 2020 when I was on a walk with my friend Molly Mary McGlynn, who's a absolutely fantastic director. She's been directing on, gosh, she's been directing on so many different TV episodes. She made a feature. She's going to make another one. She's got a TV show in development. She's just real talented. And, and we went for a walk um, in the early spring when, when this thing was new to us anyway. And I was thinking, oh, it'll be over. We'll be, we'll be good by the end of the year. We'll be okay. Yeah, we'll lose a lot of people, but we'll be okay. Maybe we won't lose so many people and we'll be okay. You know, it was, it was abstract at that point, I guess, because it hadn't really, um, touched my own life. And then within a few months, a cousin of my mom's died. Somebody who was in a nursing home, long-term care, she died from it. And certainly more and more people I knew had it or knew somebody who died from it. Um, and, you know, you, you do see so many posts about, about mourning, about death. And it's not just from COVID-19. It's people who are dying from different illnesses and people who are dying by suicide and people who are, are dying by addiction, from addiction. And I think that I have to believe that some of these other deaths are, are influenced by this time period. Maybe somebody didn't kill themselves on, on purpose, but maybe their drinking really took off. And so they kept going and going and, and they die of alcohol poisoning or they die of accidental drug overdose and their drug use really picked up during this time period. So I, I want to conclude by saying that if you are somebody who is worried that your, your alcohol or uh, drug use has gotten out of control, um, gambling, uh, and anything, you know, your thing, your thing has gotten out of control and you're worried about it. There are 12 step programs out there. There are free resources out there. And, um, obviously I've spoken before in this is very famous rain r a i n n dot org Tori Amos was their first celebrity spokesperson way back in the early 90s the rape abuse and, and incest network rain r a i n n dot org is one the Trevor project is another um, there is a uh, national suicide hotline which you're gonna hear me type my apologies I'm gonna check that out because uh, I always I don't have the number memorized. This suicide prevention lifeline. I have trouble with numbers. Uh, memorizing numbers in a row is, is tough for me. Imagine. Guess who wasn't great at math? Okay, so the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 
800-273-8255. Again, that's 800-273-8255. You can also go to their website, suicidepreventionlifeline.org, and there's a chat function, which I uh, love because, look, if I'm personally speaking, I've, I've been to that, that dark place where one considers killing oneself. Um, and I think most of us, it's, you know, not most of us, but some of us, it's floated through our minds. But when you're in, in it where you're really thinking about it and formulating a plan and, and all that jazz, um, and some of you have experience with that as well, like, I'm probably not going to, I don't like talking on the phone. I'm probably not going to die. I'm not going to be like, oh, wow, now I'm desperate. I really need help. Uh, I'm going to dial this number to talk to somebody, but I might text, <laughs> like I might online chat about it. At least that's where I was at when I was younger. And honestly, I think that if that had been an option when I was going through that stuff, when I was, you know, in 2001, um, when I was at the worst of it, like I might've availed myself of that. You know, thankfully I, I, in the years since have gotten enough help and, um, in, in different ways and have learned different coping mechanisms. And I have people, places, and things in place as resources now, but I hadn't built my toolkit then, you know, and it would have been such a great addition to the toolkit at that point in time, but it just wasn't technologically possible. So anyway, just know that that's there. I have realized a lot of people don't know that that's an option. Um, and it is, and I think that's so, so smart, uh, suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Obviously, if you are really on the edge or are desperately worried about somebody, um, you can call 911 in an extreme emergency situation, of course. But there are a lot of steps up to that extreme emergency, and, and I would encourage you to avail yourselves uh, of them. Um, but if you're not going through something so you know, desperate as that. There are so many different resources. I think the work of Sharon Salzberg, who was a guest on this program, is just so helpful. Uh, John Kabat-Zinn, really incredible work. That's J-O-N-K-A-B-A-T-Z-I-N-N. Also helpful. Um, gosh, I'm just thinking of all the different folks who've who've helped me, uh, you know, I, I'm not talking about necessarily talking in person. Um, I'm just going to look at, hey, remember Libro.fm? Ooh, a tie-in. Let's look at look at some of the, the audiobooks I enjoy. Check out the the highly sensitive person by Elaine Aron A R O N, and this doesn't necessarily mean emotionally sensitive. I'm talking about if loud noises, bright lights being around humans just feel like it drains you. Um, and I'm not talking about, um, ab about a diagnosed, uh, disorder in terms of sensory stuff. Uh, just generally, if you hear highly sensitive person and it sounds like it could be you check it out. It's really interesting because it's not just about, um, emotional sensitivity, let's say. Uh, I would also say books by Chogyam Trumpa. I pronounced that terribly, are really helpful. There's a book called The Well-Garden Mind by Sue Stewart, S-T-U-A-R-T-Smith, Sue Stewart Smith, which is about horticultural therapy, among other things. I really like the work of David Rico, R-I-C-H-O. He writes books like When the Past is Present and How to Be an Adult in Relationships. Um, I'm also reading a book by Oliver Berkman right now, B U R K E. M.A.N. Oliver Berkman. Uh, it's called 4,000 Weeks. It's about time management. 
um, anyway, you know, there's, there's a bunch of stuff out there and, uh, you can find it. And I don't know. I'm just really grateful you're here. I have friends and family and I'm really, really lucky and really grateful. I, I wrote years ago a book called Agora Fabulous Dispatches from My Bedroom, which was a memoir. It came out in 2012. Um, that was my first book. And I, th- in, I think it's the acknowledgments I say that my only religion is gratitude. And that is still true. I have gotten sober since then, so I have a different relationship with a higher power and a different spiritual solution to some some issues that I have alcoholism being one um but but it is true I think my only religion is gratitude which isn't a religion but it is a a solid spiritual practice that's helpful and and, uh I don't know it's easy for me to say that though because my life is largely pretty cushy however because I've heard so many other people say that the gratitude stuff helps them when they're in dire circumstances or they're in beyond cushy circumstances. I don't know. There's something to it. So (sighs) I hope you're well. I hope you take good care. I really thank you for being here. If you feel like rating, liking, subscribing, all that podcast stuff, go for it. Um, I am very much in New York City, so you're going to hear some sirens. (laughs) very grateful for uh, firefighters in particular. Anyway, it's my co-host. My co-host is the soundscape of the city of New York. Uh, My cat's really my co-host. Anyway, um, okay, I'm going to go now. I got to take the, uh, the garbage out. It's garbage and recycling day, which is a very exciting day here in New York City. But I'm thinking of you. Um, Again, patreon.com slash Sarah Benincasa. I'm at Sarah J. Benincasa on Twitter and on Instagram. Mm, I got books out. You know, all that shit. Anyway, um, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.